morning. It is wonderful to be back at this special, special place called Sherwood. I am so honored to be here, and I'm thankful to be here with my great friends, the Godhearts. Uh, it is a joy to be with Pastor Paul. Our journeys parallel, really, in a lot of ways. Both of us born here in the Deep South, came to Christ in the Deep South, and God called us as missionaries to a very unlikely city. Uh, I want to bring you greetings from your brothers and sisters in Christ in Las Vegas, Nevada. Maybe you didn't know you had brothers and sisters in Christ <laughs> in Las Vegas, but you do. I know your pastor has told you the stories of God's activity in that city all over the world. It's called what? There you go. Sin said, you can say sin at church. It's okay. Don't panic. It's going to be all right. I was, in, I was preaching one time, Paul. I was in... Uh, uh, Zambia, I was up on the border of Tanzania, on the, on, right there on the border of Lake Tanganyika in a hut where we were training pastors, about 40 of them, and a, a witch doctor had come to Christ, burn all his incense, we were training him to be a pastor, and I'm training, and I get up and I say, uh, I'm, I'm Vance Pittman, I'm from Las Vegas, Nevada, and some guy in the very back of the hut goes, oh, Sin City, like all over the world. <laughs> they know Las Vegas is Sin City, but here's what I'm telling you, where sin abounds, Grace abounds all the more. Here's the beautiful thing about Las Vegas. You don't got to convince anybody they're lost. That's the hardest part of winning your neighbors to Christ. They so churched here in the home where I'm from. We have what I call evangelical Catholicism all over the Bible Belt. It's Baptist in name, but it's Catholic in practice. You go to church on Sunday, you hope for the best in the end, you try to be a good person. And what people really need is a fresh, new relationship with God that can only come through His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen? I'm going to preach about something in just a minute, but before I jump into it, let me just say this. If you're here today and you stumbled into this place, kind of at the end of yourself, listen, what you need today is not church. What you need today is not a sermon. What you need is a living, vibrant relationship with the God who made you. And listen, you can only have that relationship through what we just sang, the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. You and I have all sinned against God, but God loved us so much that he gave his son Jesus to die on a cross for our sin. And because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, your sin can be forgiven in Christ and you can be invited and brought into a love relationship with the God of heaven. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I got a lot I'm going to say to people that already do know Jesus, but if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, today could be a wonderful day to you for you to meet Jesus personally. Amen? Amen. Let me breathe a word of prayer and I want to jump into God's word today. Father, I pray right now in these moments that your Holy Spirit would speak beyond the words of a preacher. Lord, I pray with the Apostle Paul that the message, the preaching would not be in persuasive words of wisdom, but that it would be a demonstration of your spirit and power so that the faith of those who hear would not rest on the wisdom of a man, but on the power of God. Holy Spirit of God, have your way today. It's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. September 1999, God interrupted my life. I was minding my own business as the senior associate pastor of a wonderful church in Memphis, Tennessee called Kirby Woods Baptist Church. I had a great relationship with the senior pastor. 
He was my dad. <laughs> Known him my whole life. We never had the conversation, but it was kind of the unspoken expectation that my dad would retire and I'd become the next pastor at Kirby Woods. It's a great church, ran about 2,000 people, generous church, gave about a million dollars a year to mission over and above their budget, gave it away. And everybody just kind of assumed I'd be the next pastor of that church. I'm one morning spending time with the Lord and just my personal devotional life, my God time, my quiet time, whatever you want to call it. And I get to a verse of scripture in Luke 4 where Jesus said these words, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also for I was sent for this purpose. And that morning I saw some stuff in Jesus that wasn't in me. A passion for the kingdom. The kingdom of God. A subject that to be honest with you at that moment reading it there in 1999 I had very little understanding of what the kingdom of God was. I'd never even heard a full sermon on the kingdom of God. A passion for other cities and the kingdom to be expanded to other cities. I didn't think about cities. I thought about my church. If my church was doing good, I was doing good. Good attendance, good decisions, good offering, everybody getting along. I was good. And I saw in Jesus this passion for the kingdom and the kingdom to be expanded to cities all over the world. And man, God deeply convicted my soul. I went and got my wife. We knelt down in our living room that morning and we said, Lord, yes. You say, what was the question? We didn't know yet. But here's the reality, Lord, anything but yes doesn't really go together. We didn't know where, we didn't know when, we didn't even know what. We just knew that God was stirring something in us that wasn't about mission, it wasn't about missiology, it was about Christ-likeness. It was something in Jesus that was absent in us, and in a moment of repentance, we said, Lord, yes, to your kingdom, to other cities, however, wherever, whenever you want to use us, two weeks later. A mentor, pastor in my life and church reached out to me and said, Vance, our church feels led of the Lord to start a church in the fastest growing city in North America, Las Vegas, Nevada, and God's put it on our heart. You're to be the pastor and planter of that church. Two weeks earlier, we said yes. Two weeks later, God had the audacity to fill in the blank with Las Vegas. Now, you got to understand, I'm from Alabama. Where I'm from, people don't go to Las Vegas. And if they do, they don't tell anybody. Like, you want to get real in church? Let's just ask, who all's been to Las Vegas? Ain't nobody in here going to raise their hand, right? They're like, is it okay to admit that in church? Like, your pastor and I can admit it. We went there righteously. We went there as missionaries. <laughs> 22 years ago, God birthed a church in that city called Hope Church. Greatest joy of my life, other than knowing Jesus and my personal family, is what God's done in Las Vegas over the last 22 years. Our church out there has had the privilege now of starting 80 churches in the western United States. Our church there has... This, I'm, thank you. Praise the Lord. But I'm going somewhere with this. <laughs> We've sent about 400 people out of our church to go be parts of those church plants up and down the west coast. By the way, if you don't know this about the Western United States, I believe the Western United States is the key to a move of God in America again. Let me tell you why. If you study revival and awakening historically around the world, and I know this is a church that loves to talk about revival and awakening. If you study revival and awakening around the world, globally and historically, revival and awakening has always begun in a pre-Christian context. Not a post-Christian context. The Northeast in the United States is now all post-Christian. 
the Bible Belt is becoming post-Christian. The last pre-Christian context in America is the Western United States. You go to any major city in the Western United States, and let me tell you what you'll find, 90 to 96% lostness. Las Vegas, 92% of Las Vegas does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. 60% declare no religious faith at all. That's true up and down the West Coast. Out of 75 million people in the Western United States... 95% of them do not have a relationship with Jesus, and most of them have never been inside the walls of a church. I believe if there's hope for another great awakening in America, it is the western United States. Wouldn't it be just like God to start in a place like Las Vegas, Nevada, that the world would say the enemy staked out for himself to so begin a move of God that would bring an awakening back to the United States of America and touch the ends of the earth for the glory and honor of God? When you see Las Vegas in the news, would you ask God to do that? Listen, if it happens in Vegas, you know what Vegas says, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Here's what I'm praying, not anymore. I'm praying that what God does there is so sweet and so special that he would touch the ends of the earth for his glory. Over 22 years, 80 churches out of our church. I now have been invited to change jobs, if you will, vocations. I'm still there at Hope. I still... I'm on the teaching team there at Hope. I preach a few Sundays a year, but I now as a missionary have been sent out of that church to lead Sin Network. I also bring you greetings today on behalf of thousands of church planners all over North America that you are personally investing in every time you give here in this fellowship. Last year, we started 760 new churches in North America. But I'm saying all that to say... I hope you hear what I'm saying. I've given the vast majority of my adult life to planting churches. I believe in church planting. I'm the president of the largest church planting network in North America. But hear me. The church is not the goal. The church is not the goal. You see, the goal is the kingdom of God. Let me, for sake of time, let me give you a definition of the kingdom that we're going to use today. We're going to get there. I know some of you, we're getting to a text of Scripture, all right? I promise you. I am an expositor. I preach through books of the Bible. It's the way I love to teach God's Word. In a minute, we're gonna, you can go ahead and open your Bible to Philippians 4. Stick your finger there. We're going to get there, I promise. <laughs> Paul said you normally get out about 1045 on Sunday morning. I looked at my watch. It's only 7.05 a.m. <laughs> I've never been given so much time in all of my life, so put your seatbelt on. You thought it was early for you. Here's the definition of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is God's sovereign activity in the world resulting in people being in right relationship with himself. The kingdom is the big picture of what God is doing all over the world. And hear me, the kingdom is eternal. Let me prove it to you. While you have your your, your finger in Philippians chapter 4, I want to turn over and read Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. 
Listen to what it says. Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. I think these verses may be on the screen. I'm not sure if they'll be or not. Here we go. Revelation 5, verse 9. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll, to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every... Read it out loud with me. Up there. Read it out loud. Ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. That's Revelation 5, 9. You ever been to a mission conference in North America at a church, you've read Revelation 5, 9. Amen? Every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. You know the problem with Revelation 5, 9? We never read, we never read Revelation 5, 10. Look what the next verse says. And you have made them a, say it out loud. This whole thing called Christianity is moving toward a grand and glorious climax. Listen, one day, one day, King Jesus is going to come again. I know not everybody's excited about that. That's interrupting some of your retirement plans. But listen, one day, I'm going to give you another shot at that. One day, King Jesus is going to come again. And when King Jesus comes again, there's not going to be Hope Church and Sherwood Church and First Baptist Church and First Methodist Church. When King Jesus comes again, it's going to be King Jesus reigning and ruling with his kingdom made up of every tribe and tongue and people and nation for all eternity. Can I give you a word of discouragement this morning? One day... Sherwood Church is going to die. <gasps> How dare you? Have you not seen our movies? What do you mean Sherwood Church is going to die? Let me tell you how I know that. Because they all Churches are born, they live, they die. If you don't believe me, go find any church Paul planted in the New Testament. Matter of fact, every church that got a book deal in the New Testament. <laughs> dead and gone. I've stood in the remains of the church at Ephesus. I've stood in the remains of the church at Corinth. Churches that in their heyday were the epicenter of gospel activity all over the world, and now they are a pile of rocks, dead and gone. But hear me, the kingdom is alive and well. To the degree that we leverage the local church. You see, we've bought into this lie that the church is the goal. It's all about the church. Let's, let's grow the church and build the church and expand the church. No, the church is not the goal. The church is the tool. It's a temporary tool. Now, when I say church, I'm talking about the little C local church. The big C church is synonymous with the kingdom. But the local New Testament church is a temporary tool established by Jesus for the expansion of his kingdom in cities and nations all over the world. The local New Testament church is the gathering place to introduce people to King Jesus, the discipleship place to, to train them in kingdom living, and then the sending center for sending them out to expand his kingdom in cities and nations all over the world. 
Let me show it to you in the book of Acts quickly. If you'd asked me for most of my ministry, what's the book of Acts about? I'd have said the book of Acts is about the local New Testament church. It's the birth of the church, Jerusalem, the launch of the church, Acts chapter 2, the growth of the church, the expansion of the church. Did you know that's not what the book of Acts is about? Let me prove it to you. Show you two verses. Acts chapter 1, verse 3. Look at it. Acts 1, 3 says, To these, to these, he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs. What does that mean? It's talking about the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. After Jesus rose again from the dead, for 40 days, Jesus made appearances to his disciples. Now look what it says in, in verse 3. Appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the what? Say it out loud. Now we're not going to spend a lot of time here, but, but I want you to understand this is the last 40 days Jesus is alive on planet earth. This is his last 40 days physically present on earth before ascending from earth and going back to heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. The Bible says Jesus for 40 days made appearances to his disciples, sometimes one or two, sometimes several hundred at one time, and for 40 days, Jesus only talked about one subject. It's almost as if Jesus said, if you forget everything else I've taught you, man, that's a good place to stand right here. There's air conditioning coming out. I thought there for a moment the wind of the Spirit of God had begun to blow. If you find me preaching here a lot today, you're going to know why. This is a very good spot to stand. I totally lost track of what I was saying. That just took me away. It's almost as if Jesus said, if you forget everything else I've taught you in three and a half years of public ministry, do not forget this. Kingdom of God. Shouldn't surprise us. One place in his teaching, his most famous sermon, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, seek ye what? The what? Notice he didn't say put it in your top ten list and pray about it being a priority. He didn't suggest it. It's an imperative in the Greek text, meaning that by command, Jesus said the kingdom should be that which everything in our life centers in and revolves around. In our lives, in our business, in our family, in our church, everything should center in and revolve around the kingdom. And for his last 40 days, Jesus preached the same sermon over and over and over and over. Kingdom, 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 kingdom. Isn't it ironic that in the church in America today, we hardly ever talk about the kingdom? Go to the end of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 28. Now we're not talking about Jesus, the cornerstone and founder of the church. We're talking about Paul, the greatest missionary in the New Testament. Acts chapter 28, verse 30. Listen to what it says. He lived there two whole years at his own expense, welcoming all who came. Now, this is not Paul living in a condo, paying rent on the beach. This is Paul under house arrest, believing to be he's facing imminent execution. Now, we know from church history, Paul is not executed here. He's released and ultimately brought back and executed. But Paul believes here his life is over. 
He's at the end. And look what it says he does. Welcoming all who came. That means anybody that got close to Paul. Paul said, come here, sit down. Let me talk to you about something. Look what he said. Proclaiming the what? Now, how about that? The book of Acts opens with Jesus spending his last 40 days talking about nothing but the kingdom of God. The book of Acts closes with Paul spending what he believes to be are his last two years talking about nothing but the kingdom and the king. In the middle of that, you have the birth, growth, and expansion of the local New Testament church. But you can't understand that historical happening apart from the bookends of the kingdom. You see, the local church was born for the expansion of the kingdom of God. If you put all of your energy and effort into Sherwood Church, you are putting all of your energy and effort into that which is temporary. But if you leverage all that Sherwood Church is for the sake of the expansion of the kingdom in Albany, in the Southeast, in North America, and among the nations, now you've invested in that which is going to be there when the king comes again. So here's the question of the morning. What does it look like for a local New Testament church to be centered in and exist for the expansion of the kingdom of God. Well, I am so glad you asked that question today. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, we find a great example of a normal church that leaned into this principle of the kingdom. Philippians chapter 4, we're going to begin reading in verse number 15. Listen to what it says. And you, Philippians, Paul's writing this letter. Now, you got to know this. Paul's writing this letter to a church that he planted about 10 years earlier. So Paul now, 10 years later, after planting the church at Philippi, is writing them this letter back. And you, Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel... When I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. A fragrant, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And here's the verse we all know out of this chapter. My God. We love this one, amen? amen? My God. You ever quoted this one in the month, at the end of the month when there's more bills than there is money? My God <laughs> will supply everything, every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Anybody like that verse? Say amen. amen. Uh-oh, it's a conditional promise. It's not a blank check. It's a conditional promise based on the way this church was living out this kingdom priority. And I'm going to show you that as we dig into this. Verse 20, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Three realities I want to show you out of this text of Scripture. Here's the first one. When God births a church, it's always about something bigger. 
Now, you know this as a church more than most because of what God has done in and through you with some ministries that launched out of here that have touched hundreds of millions of people all over the world. I promise you, when a small group of people, anybody in the room know the history? When did Sherwood Church begin? What was the date? Anybody know? What year? Say it again. Thank you, Pastor Jim. 1956. When a group of people gathered together in 1956 to launch this church, I promise you none of them ever dreamed that you'd touch hundreds of millions of people all over the world. When God births a church, it's always about something bigger. Paul's writing here to this church that he planted 10 years earlier. We're not going to read it, but you can go read the story in Acts 16. Paul plants this church in Philippi. This is the first church plant on the continent of Europe. Now, that'll help our missiology and our Christology a lot to fight this idea of Christianity being a Western, predominantly white faith. Listen, the gospel came to Europe from North Africa and the Middle East as missionaries brought the gospel in Acts 16 to Europe. And that's when the gospel was first planted there in Acts 16. Paul, as a missionary, gets to Philippi, and Paul begins to engage that city with the gospel. He meets a woman at a riverbank named Lydia. She was a a prominent businesswoman in town. She sold linens and fine purples, and she was very wealthy according to the status of how she lived and what she did for business. Paul met her at the riverbank. Paul went to the riverbank. Why did he go there? Because in every city, the major source of where transactions took place was at the riverbank. The river was the source of life in the city. So Paul goes there, shares the gospel with Lydia. Lydia opens her heart to Christ. Lydia begs Paul, come back to my home, tell my family, tell my neighbors. And in Lydia's house, her whole household comes to Christ. So Paul, like a good church planter, begins to teach them, hey, it's about getting out in the city and reaching people with the gospel. They go back out in the streets. They're sharing the gospel. They're so public in sharing their faith that this girl begins to follow along behind them that's a demon-possessed girl, and she begins to ridicule and mock them. Paul turns to her, casts the demon out of her, and that young girl, this slave girl, becomes a follower of Jesus Christ and a part of the, the, the group of believers that's now walking around the city sharing the gospel. Well, some people in the city didn't like that. They've been making money off of her. So they come and grab Paul and Silas, throw them in prison. About midnight, Paul and Silas in jail, not woe is me, they're praising the Lord. You know the story, the jail begins to shake, the doors fling open, everybody's able to leave, but nobody does, and the jailer comes in thinking his job is over, he's going to kill himself because all the prisoners have escaped. Paul and Silas say, hey man, we're all here, don't worry, and the guy says, what must I do to be saved? Right there in the middle of the night, Paul and Silas lead the jailer and his family to Christ, baptize them, and guess what? Boom, brand new church in Philippi. Lydia and her family, demon-possessed girl and her family, jailer and his family. Let me tell you what that does. That blows every church church planning strategy out of the map. It blows it off the board. This whole idea of you go and pick out a target person that you're... Listen, they didn't have any... You got an you upper-crust, wealthy businesswoman, a demon-possessed slave girl, a middle-class, blue-collar jailer and his family. Brand, brand new church in Philippi. I love that the gospel is multicultural. The gospel is multi-generational. The gospel cannot be contained in one strata of society. The gospel always changes lives. 
Paul writes to this church. This is what he says to them. He says, he says to, to the Philippians, he says, you remember the beginning of the gospel? Now, when you and I read that, I didn't see anybody in the room tear up or get emotional. It didn't move us, but it moved them. You know why? Because when they read this letter, you know what they thought about? Remember what happened in Lydia's house? It took them back to when it all started. The Greek word beginning there is a word that, that means the, the start, the place of beginning. Paul's reminding them about the beginning to remind them that the goal was never the church. Paul said that wasn't the finish line. A lot of times we look at this in a room like this, we go, man, we made it. Finish line, Sherwood Church. Hope Church out in Las Vegas, we finally, after 22 years, have a permanent worship center where we meet out there and a a place to call home, a campus that's been built and developed. Hope Church, if they're not careful, can get in there and go, whoo-hoo finish line we made it no here's what Paul said the church being born is not the finish line the church being born is the starting line for joining in the activity of God because when God births a church it's always about something bigger get this when God birthed Sherwood Church in 1956 he had the nations on his heart did you know that we are living in the greatest days in the history of Christianity to be alive? Did you know that there are more people coming to faith today in Jesus on a daily basis around the world than at any other single time in human history? I'm going to say that again because you didn't hear what I said because if you'd heard what I said, you'd have said something. Here we go. Today is the greatest day to be alive in the history of Christianity. And here's why. There are more people coming to faith in Jesus today on a global basis around the world than at any other single time in human history. And hear me, hear me. God birthed Sherwood Church for such a time as this. Not just so you could come in here on Sunday and have an uplifting worship experience. Not just so you could produce movies. Not just so you could do some ministry here among yourselves. God birthed this church to join in the big picture of what he's doing all over the world. And if we'll lift up our eyes and look on the fields, we will understand that God is moving. Did you know that there have been more people come to Christ in the last 100 years in the country of Iran than in the previous 19 centuries combined? You're not going to hear that on the news. But give me, give me, give me. That's not them. That's us. You know why? Because I'm not just a member of a church. I'm the citizen of the kingdom. And the kingdom is alive and well. Oh, I wish I had so many examples I could give you from around the world. But listen to me, Sherwood. The greatest days of Sherwood Church are not in your rearview mirror. The greatest days of Sherwood Church are through your windshield. Let me tell you why I know that. Because I know the story of the kingdom. We read it a minute ago out of Revelation chapter 5. What we read a minute ago out of Revelation chapter 5, that's not a hope so, maybe so, we think so. No, let me tell you what it is. It's for sure so. How do I know that? You know what Revelation is, right? Revelation is a book where John was allowed by God to see into eternity future. (laughs) We think time is like a movie. 
You go in, you sit down, you watch it play out a scene at a time. That's how we live time. Past, present, future. We look back at the past. We know what's happening in the present. We ponder and think about, prognosticate about the future. God doesn't see time like a movie screen. God sees it like the film strip. He can look at scene one and the last scene all at the same time. You know why? Because God exists outside the parameters of time. God spoke all of time as we know it into existence. And at a point in time, God who exists outside the parameters of time took on human flesh and chose to enter the time that he created. And at a point in time, God who exists outside the parameters of time opened up a window into eternity and said, John, I want you to look at this scene that hadn't happened yet but has happened already in eternity. And I want you to write it down. So what we read in Revelation is not a man, I hope this is going to work out. What we read in Revelation has already happened in eternity future. You want to talk about security. You want to talk about peace. We watch the news. We watch what's happening out there in the world. We get all disturbed. Listen, I want you to know something. God is sovereign. And God is sitting on the throne. And let me tell you what. He's never up for election. John said, let me tell you what I see out there in eternity. There's a scene around the throne. Every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation. So the degree to which we leverage everything we are into that, now we're leaning into that which is eternal. Second reality, when God births a church... He invites us to join in his kingdom activity. Look what Paul said here in verse 15. He said, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. That phrase entered into partnership. If you know any Greek word in the Bible, you know this word. It's the Greek word koinonia. How many of you heard that before? Right? Yeah, we know what koinonia means, right? In the Greek, it means coffee pots and casseroles and donuts. <laughs> Fellowship. The koinonia class, right? <laughs> Let me tell you what the word koinonia literally means. It means to share in the life of another. You see, this church in Philippi understood that when God birthed their church, it was born for something bigger. And so they saw in the Apostle Paul the opportunity to join in the expansion of the kingdom of God. So they leveraged everything they had and they joined in Paul's life for the sake of joining in the expansion of the kingdom of God. You say, how did they do that? Well, I could give you many ways. For sake of time, I'm going to give you three that are right here in this text. Number one, every church should cultivate a heart for the kingdom by praying. One of the things I love about your history as a church, I loved about your previous pastor, Michael Catt, who is a dear friend of mine. I love that this church is a praying church. Your church who prays deeply. We need the church in America to be a praying church. Church at Philippi was a praying church. Matter of fact, some of the greatest verses on prayer in all the Bible, Paul wrote in this letter to Philipp, the Philippians. Just a little earlier in this chapter, be anxious for nothing. 
But in everything, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This was a praying church. As you read this letter, Paul prayed for them. They prayed for Paul. Pastor, are you telling me that we just pray for the missionaries? We pray for God's activity in the world, that God, God will do things through prayer? Yes, that's exactly what I'm telling you. Are you telling me there's power in prayer? No. There is no power in prayer. There's power in the one to whom we pray. The faith is not in my prayer. The power is not in my prayer. The power is in the one I'm praying to. But when we grab a hold of the altar of God, God has chosen in his sovereignty to do something through the prayers of his people that I simply cannot explain. Let me tell you a quick story. When I got to Las Vegas, December 2000, I arrived on the field there. My wife and I and our three kids, they were seven, five, and three at the time. We rolled into town. We didn't know a soul in Las Vegas. My first week on the field, I get a telephone call. On the other end of the line is a little Filipino lady named Letty Peralta. Letty says, Pastor, can I tell you a story? I said, Letty, I don't know anybody in Las Vegas. You can tell me any story you want to tell me. Now, I since learned, Paul, you know this. You've got to be careful making that offer in Vegas because you, you hear some stories you didn't really want to hear. <laughs> Letty says, Pastor, I'm from the Philippines. I moved to Hong Kong to make money for my family that was very poor. While living in Hong Kong, I met an American family that worked for a major computer company, and I moved in with them, became the caretaker of their home. She said, that family became like my extended family, so much so that when they moved back to America, I got all the paperwork, and I relocated with them back to the United States of America. She said, we moved to a suburb north of Atlanta called Woodstock, Georgia. She said, while living in Woodstock, Georgia, I visited a church called the First Baptist Church of Woodstock, Georgia, and I heard the gospel and the kingdom of God like I'd never heard it before. She said, God changed my life, but she said, I only got to visit that church about six times. And then my family got relocated again with this computer company. We got relocated to Las Vegas, Nevada. She said, Pastor, I've been in Las Vegas for a year and a half, and I've prayed every day that the First Baptist Church of Woodstock, Georgia, would start a church in Las Vegas, Nevada. Would you please tell me who sent you here? Two weeks earlier, our family loaded everything we owned into a green Dodge minivan in the parking lot of the First Baptist Church of Woodstock, Georgia. And set out on a drive across the country. And none of us even knew Letty Peralta existed. 22 years later, we've baptized over 5,000 people into the fellowship there in Las Vegas. Our church, Hope Church in Las Vegas, has 52 languages spoken in our fellowship. We look, like the, we look like the kingdom on Sunday morning. It's black, white, Asian, Hispanic, Polynesian, and everything in between. You say you're a charismatic church? I don't know. People speak in all kinds of languages. They got so many. I don't, even, I don't even ask anymore. I just assume it's another language. Just roll with it. We sing in different languages. The 80 churches out of our church up and down the West Coast. We work on four continents around the world. We've seen thousands of churches planted internationally. I get planters that call me regularly. And here's the question. How'd you do it? How does a guy from Alabama move to Las Vegas, see that kind of church planted that's touching the nations for the glory? Listen, I'm not trying to be super spiritual. I'm not trying to be humble. I'm just being honest. 
one lady from the Philippines. For a year and a half, she grabbed a hold of the altar of God, and she said, I'm not letting go until God does what only God can do. And listen to me, for 22 years, we have ridden a wave of the favor of God's activity because one lady asked God to do it. About 20 12, 2013, she got married, moved to Florida. I almost moved with her. <laughs> I'm serious, man. I thought the glory had departed. <laughs> Here's what I'm telling you God in His sovereignty has chosen to limit His activity to the prayers of His people. You say, Explain that. I can't. God doesn't need us. But God in his sovereignty has chosen to work in response to the prayers of his people. You want to be a church that leans into the kingdom of God being expanded locally and globally all over the world? Let me tell you what you do. You grab a hold of this altar and you don't let go until God does what only God can do. What can only be explained is a power and move of God. You know what's tragic in the church in America? What's tragic in the church in America is we have relegated corporate prayer to moments of transition when we move the band on and off the stage. We don't pray to pray anymore. We just pray to change the set. Listen, I'm not saying it's wrong to move stuff while we're praying. I'm just saying it's wrong to just pray to move stuff. At Hope, we started carving out 8 to 10 minutes in every weekend service. We do this now every Sunday, 8 to 10 minutes. We lead the church, 8 to 10 minutes. There'll be 4,000 people there this weekend. 8 to 10 minutes, they'll lead them in corporate prayer. The whole church pray. People say, wait a minute, doesn't that make lost people feel uncomfortable if you pray at church? Let me tell you what I've discovered. When lost people... Come to church. They expect us to talk to God. Not only that, they came to church hoping we would show them how they could talk to God. You read in the book of Acts, 26 times in 28 chapters, prayer or praying is mentioned. And almost always, it's not somebody praying in a closet by themselves. It's the church praying together. What if you begin to take time every Sunday and pray for planting in the nations and missionaries and unreached people groups and we just unlock the door of the activity of God? Second thing, every church should prioritize the kingdom by sending. There's a guy's name in this text. It's a name you probably don't know when you start listening to heroes in the Bible. His name doesn't usually come up. His name's Epaphroditus. Who is Epaphroditus? Most people think that's something you take penicillin to get rid of. Like I used to, I had a bad case of that, but I'm better now. Now you're going to meet him in heaven. He's going to say, do you like what Paul wrote about me in the Bible? You better know who he is. You don't want to have to fake your way through that conversation in heaven. Let me tell you who Epaphroditus is. He's a regular dude in Philippi that somebody led to Jesus. He got discipled in Lydia's house. And then he is the first recorded short-term missionary in the Bible. Why do we send mission teams? Because we're following in the footsteps of Epaphroditus. The church of Philippi said, we got an offering. We need to get this money to Paul. They didn't have Zelle and Venmo and PayPal. 
we got to get this money to Paul. How do we get it to him? Somebody's got to take it. Anybody willing to go? Paphrodite said, like, I haven't been to seminary. I'm no pastor, but I can carry a bag of money with the best of them. I'll go. How do you know that? Yeah, I'm not going to read it now. You go read later, Ephesians, or, or excuse me, Philippians 2.25 where Paul says about Epaphroditus, he is your Philippi, he's your messenger and minister to my need. If Epaphroditus carried the bag of money to Paul, he served with Paul, I don't know, six days, six weeks, six months, and then Paul sent him back to the church at Philippi. You say, how do you know he came back? Where do you think we got the letter from? Epaphroditus brings this letter back as a thank you letter to the church at Philippi for joining in the activity of God in the expansion of his kingdom in cities and nations all over the world. What if the measure of success in a church was not how many we seek, but how many we send? Let a group of pastors get together, give five minutes, and I promise you they're asking, how many did you have Sunday? We count stuff God don't really care about. What if we started asking, how many did you send? We did a thing at our church in Las Vegas in our membership process. We would say, if you join our church, we're going to do everything we can to talk you into leaving. And they'd laugh just like that. <laughs> and now over 400 of them have been sent out. We right now have 21 families in the process of being commissioned to go overseas to plant their lives in another country around the world globally. There's some people in this fellowship God's calling if you just give them the okay to know it's all right to go. Here's the last thing. Every church should invest in the kingdom by giving. I don't want to spend much time here because that's what most people think about when they think about this text. But this church, man, they gave. Paul thanks them for an offering. He says, man, you gave consistently. You, you gave sufficiently. You gave abundantly. You gave sacrificially. Then you get to verse 19. My God... We'll supply all your needs. Here's the promise. If you're a church that seeks first the kingdom by praying and sending and giving, if you live with everything that you have like this, saying we're going to seek first the kingdom of God, here's what God says. You just hang on. Because where I find a conduit that can be a channel of blessings for the expansion of the kingdom, I will pour out my favor. We've seen it happen over and over and over and over. I could tell you story after story after story. When our church was three months old, we sent our first international mission team overseas. We sent a group of six guys to, it was that trip I talked about earlier, up on the coast of Lake Tanganyika, Zambia, and Tanzania. Working with a national over there, his name was Harold Peasley. God blessed that trip, had a phenomenal week there, and came back. And a few months later, Harold was in our church on a Sunday morning. Now, get this, our church isn't a year old yet. Now, if you've ever planted a church, you know a year-old church, you're living out of whatever comes in that basket every weekend. Ain't no savings account. Like, whatever comes in, that's what we're doing this week. That Sunday, Harold got up to preach. And I don't know if you, Paul and Bria were there or not that, that week. Y'all may have been there at that time. But Harold got up to preach on a Sunday and we were in two services and the first service I got deeply convicted that we should give the entire offering that day to, to this national international ministry and I stood up in front of the church and said we need this but I think we're supposed to give it away and we did 
And it was the largest offering we'd had in the six-month history of our church. And I went to lunch thinking, I shouldn't have done that. I'm, I'm just being honest. I'm sitting at lunch with Harold. A couple walks over to our table. Says, Pastor, we were visiting your church from another church back east. We heard the story of what God's doing here in Vegas. And our pastor sent us out here with a gift to give to you. They put it on the table, opened the envelope, and it was about $500 more than what we'd given away in that offering that morning. Listen. 22 years. I've seen it happen over and over and over. We finally moved into our brand new worship center middle of COVID. We never had a worship center built just for worship. We finally built one. It's like this. It's beautiful. It's amazing. See, it's about 1,800 people. We'd finally built it. We're moving in. It's in COVID. We got all kind of restrictions. And I told our stewardship team, I said, I think we need to give away the first $250,000 in offerings that come in. I think we need to give it away to help feed people in our city. And we thought it'd take us about four weeks to get 250,000 because we're going to give away the first 250 in four weeks two and a half million dollars we gave away the 250,000 the first four days here's what I'm telling you you can't out give God if it's $500 in a church plant or five million dollars in an established church here's what I'm telling you you seek first the kingdom <laughs> put your seatbelt on and hang on for the ride. Shouldn't surprise us. What did Jesus say? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And what? All these things. Here's what he said. I'll take care of everything else. Here's the last truth and I'm done. My time's gone. When God births a church, it's for his glory. When God births a church, it's always for something bigger. When God births a church, it's an invitation to get in on what he's doing. How do we do that? Through praying, through sending, through giving. Many other ways, but when God births the church, it's for his glory. I've said a lot of things today about the church at Philippi. I've said a lot of great things about Sherwood Church, said a lot of great things about Hope Church. But at the end of the day, listen how Paul closed it. Paul didn't close this text by saying, thank God for the Philippians. Now, verse 20, listen what he said. And to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. When we lean the church, when we lean our lives into the kingdom, it's not for our namesake. It's not for our glory. It's so that the glory of God may be seen and known and felt in cities and nations all over the world. It's why the psalmist said, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father. In the name of Jesus, I pray as only you can in these moments, you would take these truths and teach us, Lord. In the stillness of this moment, let me explain what's about to happen. We've just listened to the Word of God. Some of you today as believers have listened to the Word 
And the Spirit of God is prompting a response in your heart, much like he did in my heart in 1999. You don't know the question yet. You just know the answer needs to be yes. And maybe what some of you need to do is, in just a moment when our team begins to sing, some of you need to just come and get in one of these altars here at the front. Maybe you by yourself, maybe you with your family, and just put a fresh yes on the table. Maybe you need to be like Letty Peralta and just come grab a hold of this altar and stop. But who's going to be the Letty Peralta that God raises up in this fellowship that grabs a hold of the altar and doesn't let go until God does something mighty? Maybe today, when we stand in worship in a moment, you just need to put a fresh yes on the table. I know that can be scary, but let me tell you. As a guy who took his wife and three little kids and moved to a city that nobody would ever say, that's where I want to go raise my kids. The most incredible place on planet earth for you to be is in the center of the will of God for your family. I now have four kids. They're 30, 28, 26, 18. Three of them married, four grandchildren, all in love with Jesus and leveraging their lives for the sake of the kingdom because they grew up living on mission and obedience to the Spirit of God. Don't let the enemy lie to you and tell you you're giving up something. No, you're getting something. But Maybe you're like those I started talking to when I began today. Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. What I said in the beginning is true. You'll never know life until you know Jesus. There are going to be some pastors, some pastors' wives, some counselors that will be here along the front. If you don't know Jesus today, if you don't have a relationship with God, you can come to any one of these pastors and just say, I need God today. And they'll show you from the Bible how you can come to know Jesus personally. If you need prayer, they'll pray with you. This altar is going to be open. These pastors are going to be here. We're going to sing. I want you to respond as the Holy Spirit of God is prompting you today. Lord, we give this to you. God, have your way. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.